Would y'all um, give us a warm, give a very Alamo Stone warm welcome to Justin. <laughs> and I think he's going to say a few more words about himself, so we'll get to know you a little bit better. Oh, this is Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no, so if, oh, yeah, Kids Church. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm like, okay, we have Kids Church tonight. Sorry, Justin. Um, if you have kids that want to go to Kids Church, you guys are dismissed. And there is nursery tonight, so if you have any kids that need to be in the nursery, you're welcome to do that. Um, am I missing anything else? Okay. Now I get to say it again. Would you all welcome Justin? Test, test. We good? Thank you, sir. That's a little loud. You ever been on a mic and think, I sound weird? <laughs> um, so I'm a little like Merrick. So Merrick, thank you for uh, breaking the ice on the... <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so met Jody and Emily a year ago. And uh, he asked me to come speak at some point. And that was months ago. So imagine saying, hey, come talk on whatever. And it's like months in advance. And it's like, well, okay, I could talk about this or this or this or this. And so I had an idea of what I was going to talk about. Wrote about six different sermons, trashed them all. And then really about two weeks ago, got an idea um, of something that I think we all need to be reminded of. So, um, yeah. So first thing I'm going to say, we're going to be teaching from the Bible tonight. I hope that's not a disappointment <laughs> to anyone here, but um, we believe that it's the Word of God. Um, and I heard from a rabbi once that in rabbinical school that they would literally, it's like Theology 101, have somebody stand up and say, read the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. And it says, in the beginning, God created and the rabbi would say, stop, read it again. In the beginning, God created. Stop, read it one more time. In the beginning, God created. And say, if you don't believe that, whatever we study, whatever we look at from this point on, isn't going to matter. And so, believing is important. The word of God is powerful. It doesn't return void. And that's why we're going to be teaching from the Bible. And so no matter where you are today, um, no matter what you believe, I hope there is value in it. But I want to encourage you to take a step towards faith and believing. Uh, and so I'm going to pray. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you would use this time. Lord, that you would teach us all something about you, about your character, about your love about your grace, about our deep need for you and just how you have provided everything we need. Would you help me uh, to communicate effectively, uh, Lord, and um, get out of the way that you would be glorified. Um, I thank you for these friends here. Um, and I pray for all the hurting hearts entering this room today, Lord, that they would find comfort and peace in you and you provide it. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I think we have some pictures, but I guess we'll start. Here's my family that's 
me and my wife Summer, and that's our son Noah. He's three and a half. We had a quick turnaround on this trip, so we would have loved for him to be here. But um, yeah, he's he's at home with my mother-in-law. So uh, maybe next time. But go the next one. So this is Noah and I. This is Noah from a couple years ago. This is Christmas after he was he's one and some change. And um, but it's my favorite picture of him and I so far. It's just I don't know. He's a cute little dude, and so I just love being a dad, and I love what being a dad taught me about God and just how it's expanded my heart and capacity to love. Um, and we'll do another one. So this is a different father-son duo. This happens to be my dad and me uh, at around Noah's age right now. And so this is a common, you know, uh, picture in the Powell household, men without shirts on. Um, it's pretty common, and there's some ice cream, I think, uh, being had there with the plate, and so we do the same thing today, but um, yeah, let's roll the next, uh, and there's the generations together. My dad's over there. I think he's wearing the same thing, um, but there's me, Noah, and my dad, uh, and we can roll the next, and so and here's Noah at uh, probably between one and two, but are there any parents in the room? Um, there are parents. I've seen lots of kids, so we know there's uh, definitely parents in the room, but can you imagine loving your kids any less? Do you have any, I mean, it's God's design that we would love our children, like to a depth that we didn't even understand was possible before having kids. Um, and so we'll, we'll go to the next. Here's Another picture uh, that happens to be me and my dad at a very similar age to where Noah is today. And I'd ask you, what do you think my dad was thinking in that picture? As I was there, all, I'm sure I got into some stuff I wasn't supposed to, obviously. Um, real dirty. Uh, what do you think my dad was thinking? Or was he thinking... Was he thinking what we think sometimes about God? Was he thinking, man, I wish he'd clean his act up. I wish he would stop messing up. Man, I wish he would just be perfect. I wish he would not be my son anymore. Do you think that's what my dad was thinking? Then why do we think that about God? Why do we think God thinks that about us? Why? There's been a lot of baggage in this room, I'm sure, because of earthly dads and relationships. No human is perfect. And that extends to the father-child relationship, too. And so, man, even, I think Jody's a great dad. But Jody falls short. And his kids are going to have a father wound. We all have a father wound um, that has affected us in some way. And you may have a great dad great relationship with your dad, or man, I'm so sorry if he treated you so poorly and there's hurt and pain that he caused in your life. Um, but what's hard is we project that onto our relationship with our dad, or with our father in heaven, with God. Um, and so A.W. Tozer once said that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Um, and so whether it is the most important thing about you or not, the reality is, for better or worse, 
our relationship with our earthly dad and experiences with them affect how we even approach God or even think about him. And so I want us to realize that our relationship, our belief, what we believe about God, our relationship with him determines how we relate with him and everything else. And so today I want to talk about who God is, his love, and how we should respond. Um, Give me a second. The primary text that I want to read from the Bible, as we spoke about, um, is in Luke 15. Um, It's a famous passage. We're very well known. Um, But in Luke 15, Jesus is sitting with sinners and tax collectors. And he's getting asked questions by this religious group called the Pharisees. Um, And so I'm going to read a couple verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats eats with them. And so he was sitting with sinners and tax collectors. To put you in the spot, that was the outcasts of society at that time. In that culture, nobody wanted to do, had anything to do with anybody that was um, going against the religion of the day or hurting the people outrightly. Um, and today we can, I'd say, I, I have a short list, homeless, pimps and prostitutes, LGBTQ, anyone that looks different than you, and maybe to bring it a little closer to home, maybe they're liars, Maybe they were people who lust or were greedy or selfish. And so the religious leaders were murmuring and grumbling at Jesus for spending time with these people. And this actually was not a new thing for Jesus because it just so happens that that same word grumble was the thing that the Israelites did when they were wandering around in the desert when they were, God delivered them out of exile, or out of, uh, in the exodus, they were grumbling at God's provision. And so the Jewish people were really good at grumbling at, at God, right? And so um, I want to say a point here about the sinners and tax collectors. I've heard people misuse this as, I'm going to go hang out with my buddies and get hammered because I might talk to them about Jesus. Or I'm going to go and do something with some people because, you know, I might have the chance to share the gospel. They were drawing near to him. They were coming to him in his context. And he was having the chance to influence the scene, not the other way around. Uh, So that's a little aside, um, but I wanted to point it out in the context. And so, um, and Jesus responds to this question or this comment, really, this man receives sinners and eats with them, um, he responds as he often did with parables. They're a means of illustrating a point. He used word pictures and stories to put people that were listening in the story and to really speak to them. And so um, here's the, the famous one uh, called the prodigal son, um, starting in verse 11 of Luke 15. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be uh, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to uh, feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Can you imagine being there? What, what was that conversation like? I can imagine, like, it's like a DJ's playing music, and then, like, Dad, can you just give me, give me what's owed to me? Like, what? And, I don't know, it's just a verse in the Bible, but next verse says, he did. Almost no questions asked. We don't know the context, but at that time, so this was the younger son. Out of two sons, the older son would have gotten a double portion, and so that would have meant that this younger son was asking for a third of the estate. And his father, not only to give him that, would have had to sell, likely land, that would have changed his standing in society. And yet he does it. He gives freely. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think their relationship was like? That it's probably late teen years. I'm I'm just wondering. It's probably some kid that's just thinking about himself. You know, he's just like, <laughs> and uh, and then just, hey, dad, can you get my stuff? He basically is saying to his dad, I want you dead. You're better dead. And so he's only thinking about himself. I I don't think they have a good relationship. There's likely a distant relationship, but the the father didn't even say no. He freely gave. And this was radical, right? Um, And yet the son, once he got what he wanted, he squandered it all and found himself empty. He had nothing. No one would give him anything. And his efforts led to just emptiness. And he, he had nothing as a result of what he was doing. I want to ask you, do you, is there anybody in the room that's at the end of your rope? You've been trying and trying and trying in some ways, and um, maybe you feel a little bit off the reservation, or you've ran away, or you've squandered God's provision in your life. I've been there. Um, that's a big part of my story. God changed my life 10 years ago. Um, and I'm super grateful, but I remember times I cried myself to sleep asking for something different than what I had. Uh-oh. And when I ask you, do you think that there's shame keeping him where he was? Is there shame keeping you where you are right now? Um, so transitioning the Jewish hearers of the day would have been justified. They would have felt like, yeah, he got what was coming to him. He's suffering now. He should be. You know, he squandered the wealth that his dad gave him, um, which was extremely disrespectful. And uh, they would have probably preferred that the story in there, but it didn't. And so, next page. We continue in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, 
but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He was expecting to be met with something entirely different than he was met with. The father was looking for him from a long way off. You don't do that if you're just like sitting back passively doing other things. He was waiting, longing, heartache, and desire for his son to return. I want to point out the son came to his senses. When he came to himself, another translation says that he came to his senses. Um, this, my, my dad would say he pulled his head out of his but, um, but he came running back home. I, th- I think he just wanted his circumstances to look different. Um, but at the end of the day, he came home, and he was trying to apologize. He had rehearsed this apology. I remember in grade school, getting in trouble, I'd get a, go to the office or get a pink slip or something and come home, and I'd be like, okay, this is what happened. You know, I got to kind of posit the story in a way. And the father doesn't let him finish. He doesn't even let him finish getting his apology out. He doesn't even address him. He's like, hey, that's fine. Forget that. And he doesn't even let the son ask to be a servant. The son wanted to be a servant. He's like, hey, if I can just be a servant, it's better than where I met today. And the father said, hey, you are a son. Let me give you the robe, the shoes, the ring. All that would have been, he's restoring him in the family. So do you think anything's changed in the relationship? Um, I love that, man, this, so what's hard for us to, to understand today is what this must have been like in that culture. Such a shame and honor culture that a Hebrew man in this context did not run. Nor do they eat pigs. I forgot to say that I love bacon, but pigs to them was a no-no. It was part of the unclean class of animals, and if you touched or ate anything of that nature, you would be unclean. And yet the father ran and embraced and kissed him, and I'm sure the son hadn't bathed in who knows how But the father didn't care. He's shown a sign of love and affection and he restored him to sonship. And so, how many of us, again, are hesitant to run, run to the Father, are hesitant to return, because you think you're going to be met with shame and guilt? And there's more to the story. We talked about the younger brother. Now, let's talk about the older brother. 
picking up in verse 25. Now his older brother was in the old, now his older son uh, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this young, the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So put yourself in the, the older son's shoes. Your younger brother asked for his inheritance early. Um, he's always been the kind of loose cannon, always got in trouble, and he just leaves. He takes a third of the money, leaves, and you're like, okay, that's kind of sad, but I never liked him anyways. I've always done what dads want me to do, and so I'm good. I'm still the man of the place. I'm going to be in charge soon. And then your younger brother comes back, and your dad says, hey, let bygones be bygones. We're restoring him. I'm giving him everything. And he's likely taking what some of what was rightfully the older brothers. And he's just responding with bitterness, anger. Another interesting thing is he tells his dad, I've always served you. I never disobeyed your command. He thought service and obedience is what God wanted. I mean, the father. Sorry, I kind of gave it away. He thought service and obedience is what was what mattered most. Um, and he thought his acceptance was based on performance. So what do you think their relationship was like? This is a different brother with the dad. What do you think their relationship was like? I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it was close that you think a relationship is based on acts of service. Uh, we see in here even that son's desire, he wanted a young goat to celebrate with his friends. And he was settling for so much less than what the father was actually offering. And how does the father respond? Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He pursues him and entreats him. He expressed gratitude for the fact that his younger brother had come back and that he was always with him. So I, I want to ask, how many of us perform to be accepted by God and by others? Do you extend grace to people and forgiveness to people that God forgives freely? Or do you hold a grudge thinking that you deserve something that they don't? And for the people who have been Christians for a long time, have you been in the Father's house for so long that you've forgotten what it means to need forgiveness? 
You see, both brothers were guilty of the same thing. They were both entitled. The older brother didn't think he was as bad as the younger brother, but they both were in the same boat. They wanted the stuff. They didn't want the father. And so historically, this has been a tale about or called the prodigal son. But I think the most polarizing figure in here is the father. Prodigal means reckless, and the father has lavished his love on both his sons in a way that he didn't want anything in return. The cultural context would have shunned or been appalled at. Um, and so in this, in this part of Luke, the context in the book just before this, in 14, Jesus had told the people what it would cost to follow him. He said, hey, it's going to cost you a lot. Following me comes with a lot of sacrifice. And yet he's using multiple stories to express how God was willing to go so much further for them than what it was going to cost them. And so, again, to summarize the this would have been impactful to the people who Jesus was telling the story to because the younger son represented everybody. We actually are all represented by the younger son who needs God's grace. And the older son represented those who thought they were near. The religious people that were pointing the finger at other people, they thought they were near to God, and yet they were very far. They didn't have the relationship they thought they did. And then obviously the father in the story represents God. And Jesus tells us just to show that, that God loves us all despite how we reject him. And he doesn't demand that we change who we are, but he beckons us to come to him. And he entreats you and me where you are, despite what you've been or what you've done. Where you've been or what you've done. Okay, I'm going to read some scriptures that talk about God's love. And I just want you to, as best you can, it's closing your eyes or um, just meditate on these and ask yourself internally, do I believe these to be true? Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9. Speaking to the Israelites, he said, For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Isaiah 43, 4. Because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Isaiah 54:10. For the mountains may depart, 
and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Psalm 103.11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 1 John 3.1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Stop! Do you believe this? Do you believe? In John 1, he says, To those who believed in him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, Do you believe? And if you do, God says, You're my children. You're not a servant. You're not an enemy. You're not somebody that I'm looking to punish any chance I get. But you see, we don't know what happened in that story. We don't know what happened after, did the older brother go in to the party? Did the dad give him the boot? I don't think he gave him the boot. But we actually find ourselves in the same place. We're now in this place of, so what? How do we respond? We're actually in the same place spot so the reality is i'd you know they mentioned egypt and pharaoh and i'd love to uh, one of those like hey what do i talk on just lay out everything of how the old testament points at jesus but the reality is is god created us in his image we rebelled against him and you say why why would we rebel well god gave us ability to choose. And why did he give us the ability to choose? Because you don't love unless you have the ability to choose. And with the ability to choose, you can also choose to reject. And when we choose to reject God, we're saying the same thing those brothers did when they were in rebellion. I don't want you. And God doesn't want to force anybody to be with him for eternity. But the reality is, is in rejecting him initially, that caused a chasm between us and God. God kicked them out of the garden and out of perfection because he didn't want them the fruit that would make them perpetually be in that state forever because he had planned before the foundations of the world, that he would save a people. And he longed for people to turn to him, to put their faith and trust in him. And you get to, throughout all the generations, Jesus, when he stepped on the scene, he said, or Matthew 1 says, Jesus, son of Abraham, son of David. And Abraham was a guy that God promised many things to that he was going to give him land, seed, and blessing and that that blessing was going to be to the whole world through his descendants. And then 
David, son of David, was impactful because God made a promise to somebody else named David and that he was going to send through his descendants somebody that was going to sit on the throne forever. And so Jesus is that fulfillment of the blessing to the world and Jesus is the king that was going to sit on the throne. And so Jesus also being the king died for our sins. He laid his life down, which is the most scandalous thing that could ever be fathomed. I mean, it's it's not earthly. It's otherworldly. That God would leave heaven, come to earth, and sacrifice his life. But that's what God did for us because he loves us deeply. And so, with that, I'd ask what What's your response today? Are you living as if he doesn't exist and you're off the reservation? Are you in shame and guilt thinking that he's going to punish you if you go back? Or are you just trying to serve in some way to be accepted? Maybe you need to confess sin you've been hiding. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness. You know, I, we've had lots of pictures of Noah and I, um, and around uh, around the house, I'll be doing stuff. You know, if I'm drilling something, he's like, "Oh, Daddy, let me see that drill. Let me see that drill." And he like gets in the middle of the with me when I'm doing that, or if I'm building something, getting the hammer. He's like, "Oh, Daddy, let me see the hammer. Let me see the hammer." Um, just constant and uh, sometimes annoying, but most of the time, I just love that he wants to be with me. And again, I'm an imperfect human. But I think that's what God wants from us, more than just giving him empty praises or acts of service. He wants us to be in it with him, doing life with him, in relationship with him. So we began our time talking about family and dads, and so I want to tell you about one more. Um, so this is a picture of Noah and my father-in-law. Uh, my father-in-law's name is Corky. Uh, he had a lot that was to be desired um, from the world's perspective. He had money, cars, houses. He had seen the world, traveled, boats, um, in some circles, he was famous. He knew a lot of people really well-connected. Um, but deep down in his soul, he was searching. He was searching. And Scripture is clear that when you ask, seek, and knock, an answer will be given, the door will be open. Um, and so in this searching, we've had a lot of conversations with him over the years about faith, which he just scoffed at. He was a scoffer for his life. Uh, and Corky passed away a year ago, December. And we miss him. But as I said, when you ask, seek, and knock, he literally said, hey, I want to believe and I can't fake it. I just can't. He gave the opportunity literally a week and a half before he passed away, my 
my wife went back over and was like, this is the last time I'm going to get to, I'm going to say all the things that I've wanted to say are the last things because he was starting to go. Um, and literally she's sitting down with him sharing the love of Christ and what he had done for him. And he says, I believe. I believe. I'll see you again. He's God. He's God. I believe. And the most humble that he's ever been in his life. See, this man that was super prideful, scoffed every day of his life, weeping, knowing what the price that Jesus had paid for him. And there was much rejoicing. And so I want to say that where we end up is not dictated by where we start. Um, Go to the last slide, please. And so this is him literally on his last Christmas. This look of joy. Like it was this moment that we captured, and he's opening a box of, it was a, Tickets to a pentatonics concert. But Joy uh, exhibited right there. um, I think that we all have a chance at even greater joy than that. And I don't know if we're taking advantage of the opportunity to walk hand in hand with our Father. Um, So you do have that opportunity today if you haven't taken advantage and there's always another step that you can do to further surrender and so to recap i want you to remember you're never too far gone or out of reach of god's love and there's nothing you can do to earn god's love and how we relate Eve, about god will affect and impact we respond and relate to everything else. And so I'm going to close in prayer uh, from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine according to the power at work with him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all.